Well, beginning in verse seven, Psalm 139, verse seven. And, um, and watch what he says here. This really grabbed me uh, recently as I was looking at this again. And I, I hope it grabs you. I'm going to try to explain it and teach from it a little bit to you. But he says, where can I go from your spirit? David says, where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? Now, by this time, David has made all sorts of mistakes in his life. David has faced all sorts of trials. David has been in the valley. He was in the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. He's running from uh, Saul in, in around the, the, the time of Psalm 30, 34, 35. Um, he's uh, he's with Bathsheba in you know, by the time we read Psalm 51, right? He's he's killed the guy. You know, he's, he's, he's killed, killed. You know, he's taken Bathsheba. He's killed her, her husband. This guy has had a rough, tough life. And yet and, and some of it is because of the enemy against him. And some of it is because of the own his own bad decisions that he made. Can I get a witness to that in this place here today? And yet here towards the end of these Psalms, he says, where can I go from your spirit? Man, he, he you think about it. David's thinking I've been I've been through hell and I've been through torment and I've had people try to kill me and I've done the most selfish things that man can do. And yet through all of that, God's presence has been with me. Where can I flee from your presence? Keep going. Verse eight, he says, if I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in hell, behold, there you are. Now you wonder, is he is he saying this because he's running and he knows that you know, he can't run from God. Or is he saying this because he's come to the conclusion that no matter what he's gone through in life, God has been faithful. His presence has been true. He, he's been he's been there for David through the tough times and through the hardest times of life. And he keeps going on in verse nine. Keep going there. It says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Boy, you got to just love this reality that like who's done what David who's ascended to the highest place and been the king of Israel and then descended to the lowest place and uh, not only uh, not only taken a man's wife, but then killed the man to get rid of him and then went on with his life. I mean, if you think about it, who among us has been to that high of a height and that low of a depth? And yet David has been through that. And and even there, his hand has led has led David not into those things, but through those things. Can anybody say amen? God doesn't lead you into everything, but he leads you through everything. And your right hand shall hold me. You know, I just picture a little child who's always, you know, putting their hand up or a parent who's putting their hand down to grab a hold of their little baby's hand. And I see these parents with these little babies and they're holding their little hands and your right hand shall hold me. It's not just it's like some of these some of these guys are holding their baby, you know, just in one hand. Just You can hold a child. You can hold the baby at some point with one hand, right? When they're little, God can hold you with one hand forever. 
verse 11, he goes on to say, and if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light around me and keep going. He says in verse 12, indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You know, to God, no matter how dark your situation is, it makes no difference because it's because he is light. And whatever darkness is in your life right now, his light is enough to overshadow it. And that's why we read our Bibles today, because the entrance of his word brings light. No matter how dark your situation is, no matter how lonely you feel, no matter how discouraged you feel, no matter what you're fighting against, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what seems to be getting a foothold in your life. Believe me when I say this is that God will not let you out of the palm of his hand. He will hold you with his righteous right hand. He will he will never let you go. In fact, the Bible says I will never leave you in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse five. He says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And then look at what he says in verse six. Therefore, because he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, look at what he says. This is why we may boldly say so that we may boldly say, why can we boldly say that the Lord is my helper? I will not fear. What can man do to me? The reason we can boldly say that you see, you can't just make stuff up. Uh, in your life. You can't just make up stuff. This is in here because of what comes before it. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, because he himself said nobody quoted him saying it, he himself said it. Oh, man, this isn't secondhand information. This isn't thirdhand information. This is direct from the throne of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I want you to hear this. Say, 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 God said he himself said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Therefore, I can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Selah, right? <laughs> Pause. Think on that. Now, remember what we've been talking about when we talk about the presence of the Lord. Today, I'm talking. I'm talking today. My, my title, if you if you if you'd like one is is own the darkness and you will not fear own the darkness and you will not fear. And the reason I talk about owning the darkness and the reason I'm calling it that is because to God, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Darkness is no match for the light of God. Do you know that, that light and darkness don't struggle? Light doesn't have to fight darkness. You know, if you're in a dark room, there's only one thing you have to do. Turn on the light. And the darkness doesn't fight you, debate you, have an argument with you. The darkness doesn't you know, cry, that doesn't moan and groan. It just leaves every time. It never wins. Light always wins. And the entrance of his word brings light and God's presence brings light and God's love is light. And Jesus is the light 
of the world. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I really am on a mission to empower God's people to awaken, to awaken God's people to who they really are and what God has done for them and what we can do with that power that he's given us, because too many Christians are ignorant without knowledge. And Hosea chapter four, verse six says, my people, look at what God says. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, not for a lack of God's presence, but for a lack of knowledge. And if I could just get this across to you today, that that there are so many agreements we have in our head that are wrong. There's so many there's so many beliefs that we have in our mind that we have bought into that are lies. The belief that God might distance himself from you if you don't pray enough, if you don't read enough or if you sin, because isn't it true that sin separates us from God? In fact, I'll prove it to you. It says I know we've gone over this, but in Isaiah chapter 59, verse two, Isaiah 59, verse two, he says, your iniquities have separated you from God, from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. So we know the word of God is true. And the word of God says our iniquities and our sins have separated us from God. And so what does that mean? That means that there is this gap and that God is over here and we're over here because our sins, Adam's sin and our sins have separated us from God. But the beauty is, is that Jesus has solved this problem. The prop. Remember, being separated from God is spiritual death, that when God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Remember that the day you eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. But they didn't die physically and they didn't die emotionally. In fact, if anything, they, they, they had even stronger emotions. They had the emotion of fear. They had the emotion of, of anger. They had the emotion of feeling insecure and inferior. They had the emotion of trying to dominate one another. They had the emotion that all they had the emotion, emotions of sadness and sorrow. All of these things came when they were separated from God. This is what I'm trying to say, that all of the world's problems, every problem in this world is the result of being separated from God. And I will tell you this, the presence of God is the solution for everything and anything that is happening in your life, in your family or in this world. The presence of God is the solution to everything. But religion has told us, well, you got to fight your way into the presence of God. You got to sing your way into the presence. Let me tell you something. If we got to figalo, 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 if we got to sing our way into the I can't even say that right. If we got to sing our way into the presence of God, I'm going to hell. Some of you got good voices. You're going to be suspended between heaven and hell, but you will never get to heaven with your voice. No matter how good your voice is, no matter how good your song is, you can sing louder and you can try harder, but you cannot. Nothing. None of that can get you into the presence of God. None of that gets you access. None of that gets you access. What gets you access? The blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. But but back, you know, back up here for a moment. So he says the day you eat from it, Genesis 2, 16, excuse me, Genesis chapter two, verse 17, the day you eat from that tree, 
of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. You will surely die. And yet a few verses later, they ate from it, but they didn't die physically and they didn't die in their soul. So how did they die? They died spiritually. And what is and what is spiritual death? Separation from God. What is death? Death is separation from God. That's why when you're born again, the Bible says you have eternal life. That means you will never be separated from God, which means you will never die. Do you know you're going to live forever, right? You know why? Because you're no longer separated from God. Separation from God is death. So you will never die. The moment you're born again, you will not die. You will never die. But they died spiritually because man is made up of three parts. Remember, spirit, soul and body. So they were alive. Adam and Eve were alive, spirit, soul and body. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they died. One third of them died. They died spiritually. They were still alive physically and they were still alive emotionally, but they were dead spiritually. And then they gave birth to every human being after them that came into this world was made up of three parts. But there but one third of every human being that's ever been born is dead is dead. They're spiritually dead. Every human being is born spiritually dead. We're alive to our senses, which is our emotions or our body. We're alive to our to our emotions, which is our soul. We're alive to our feelings, which is our soul. We're alive to our desires, which is our body, our physical. We're alive to appetites and tastes, which is our body. Think about it. We, we were born into this world alive in our soul and alive in our body, but dead in our spirit. And that's why Jesus said we must be born again. Okay, we went over that last week, but it's important that you hear that because you just this this brings us into some expectations. When we get a hold of this, it'll bring us into some expectations. When you get a hold of what the presence of God will do for your life, it, it, it will it will it will bring you so much peace and so much joy and it will bring you so much confidence. That's why that's why the, the writer of Hebrews, which we believe to be Paul, the apostle, said this is why we may boldly say, Woo, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Everything's going to be all right. Why? Because God said himself, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If he said, sometimes I'm going to leave, sometimes I'm going to forsake you. If you don't pray enough, I'm going to leave. If you don't fast enough, I'm going to leave. If you're not holy enough, I'm going to leave. Boy, we would just be bouncing like a ping pong. We would just go and be back and forth, just trying to just trying to find out how we can get God to stay. Thank God we don't have to do anything to get God to stay. He says, I'm not leaving. I'm moving in. I'm bringing in all my furniture. I'm bringing the Holy Spirit. I'm bringing my gifts. I'm bringing the armor. I'm bringing the power. I'm bringing everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. I'm bringing the wisdom. I'm bringing it all moving in to you. And I am not letting go. Look at what he says. Revelation 3:20. Look at what he says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. He doesn't say I'm going to come near. He doesn't say I'm coming to the neighborhood. He doesn't say I'll move in next door, but I'm not getting near you. you your house is a pig pig pen, man. I'm not. He said, I'll live near you, but you smoke, so I, I can't live in you. I'll live near you, but you know, uh, man, you remember all that cussing you did. I, 
I'm too pure. I can't take that. Jesus can handle anything. One of the first disciples he chose was a cussing sailor, Peter. Blankety blank, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Blankety blank, you shall never, that shall never happen. Blankety blank, I don't know him. The Bible says Peter cursed all the time and cussed. There's a little bit of Peter in every one of us. But God didn't leave Peter. God didn't forsake Peter. And God hasn't left you and hasn't forsaken you, and he's not about to. You say, oh, pastor, you shouldn't tell people that, you know, you know, back where the church that I came from, they used to scare us, to, told us that God would leave us if we sinned too much. Well, they told you wrong. Well, but if you say that, then people will go out and sin. You know what? Nobody on this planet is sinning because of something I said. Everybody on this planet sins because they choose to. I'm not the reason anybody is committing sin. If you commit sin, that's your choice. Don't put your choice on me. That's like me saying, man, my church sucks. I'm going out and sinning because my church has just been really bad to me. So I'm, like, I'm going to blame my sin on you. So don't be blaming it on me. Say, yeah, but you're teaching false. No, you were being taught falsely. That's why you're not over there anymore. <laughs> where they were, where they were beating you up, telling you God's going to leave you. God's gonna, you say, yeah, but you, you, you got to wait, 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 wait. What if you too much grace, you know, and that mean people may sin. People are sinning without any grace. So too much grace isn't going to make people sin more. The more grace you understand, the more you understand about God's grace, the more power it releases in your life, because grace does not just mean God's gift of forgiveness. It also means God's ability to go in a new direction. Don't worry, save, save your applause for next Sunday. I don't need it right now. You got to understand me. I come from a dark background. I had a dark upbringing. I, I had I came from a lot of damage in my soul, whether it was caused by people, whether it was caused by the devil, whether it was most most of it was caused by myself. But you know what? I know this is that Jesus can change anybody and he can save anybody, forgive anybody and heal anybody if you if you'll start believing that it's him. You know, when I was younger as a Christian, I used to want to take credit for good things happening in my life. And the older I've gotten as a believer and the more I've understood about God, the, 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 the more and the safer I feel knowing that anything good in my life is from God, that that it's his mercy, it's his grace. What's the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve, like salvation and love and healing and power and strength. He gives you what you don't deserve. What's mercy? Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Hell, judgment, punishment, disease, death. 
He that's mercy that he withholds what we deserve. And grace is he gives what we don't deserve. And that's why we can come boldly. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says we can come boldly to the throne of his what? His grace. Hebrews 4:16 it says we can come boldly to the throne of his grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And you know what? It's it's not a far journey to the throne. He said we can come boldly to the throne of grace. You know, it's not a far journey. You know why? Because Ephesians two, verse six, look at what it says. Ephesians chapter two, verse six. And he raised us up together (laughs) and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know why it's not very far for you to go to the throne of God's grace It's because you're seated right there with him. See, you got to check the seating chart, folks. You know, when I was a kid, first thing they did in school was they put you at a in a particular seat. You know, remember in elementary school, there was always a seating chart. I mean, it probably still is today. I mean, I haven't been to school in a while, but I have dreams like I'm all, I'm always back in school. Have anybody have any of those dreams? And, the, and I'm in my underwear. Anybody have any of those dreams? It's a terrible dream, man. Um, so you got to check the seating chart. You're, you're not seated in the back. You're not seated way over somewhere unnoticeable. He has raised us up together with him and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean in the heavenly places? We're not in heaven yet, but we're in the heavenly places. What does that mean? We are in dominion. We reign over all spiritual power that is in this world. We have more power than the devil. That's why the Bible says submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, behold, look at what he says. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He says, Jesus said, behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Why? Because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places because you're no longer separated from God. So when the devil sees you, he sees Jesus because you're with you're joined together with him. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're a conjoined twin of Jesus that no surgeon can operate on. No devil in hell can bust you up between you and Jesus. You're one with him. United with him, one heir with him, joint heir. You're a joint heir. That means you're joined together with him. That means you're a twin of Jesus. You're a you're a conjoined twin. That means everywhere he goes, you go everywhere you go. He goes, you are not there. Nothing will separate you from God's presence ever again. So Adam and Eve died when they sinned. They were separated from God. And so what happens? Jesus, John 129. Behold, the Lamb of God. Look at this. John 129. Jesus solves it. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why does it say he takes away the sin of the world? 
because the sin of the world was Adam's sin. And that was the sin that separated man from God eternally. So Jesus takes the root, the, the, the el numero uno, just showing you my bilingual power. He takes the number one sin of mankind, Adam and Eve's sin, and he takes it away. He takes it away on the cross, but also on the cross. Revelation one, verse five says he doesn't just take away Adam's sin, but it says to him that loved us at the bottom of this verse, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, it's important that you understand that God didn't just forgive you of your sins. He washed you. He 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 washed us from our sins. If you wash yourself from a germ, the germ's not there anymore. If you wash yourself from dirt, the dirt's not there anymore. When and, and even more powerfully, when he washes us from our sins in his own blood, your sins aren't there anymore. So Adam's sin cannot separate you from God and your sins cannot separate you from God because Jesus dealt with Adam's sin in John 129, according to John 129. And Jesus dealt with your sin and my sins, all of our sins, according to Revelation chapter one, verse five. So guess what? There is no gap anymore. There is no separation anymore. That's why Romans chapter eight, verse thirty eight says this. Nothing can separate us, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor powers. Nothing, no other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And God is love. So if you can't be separated from his love, you can't be separated from him because he is love. You say, oh, why is that so important, Pastor? I just came here to learn the three secrets to pay my bills. I just came here to figure out how to be a better husband. I just came here to figure out how to be healed. This is how you get it all. This is the whole kit and caboodle. This is how this is the whole. This is this is this is the the, the big. This is the the, the 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 getting the biggest prize. It says in Romans 832, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things with him? with him, him with us, we have everything. Us with him, we have everything. Him with us, we have everything. You see, you stop worrying when you truly are convinced he is with you. You stop worrying when you're truly convinced there is no separation. Now, listen, this is really important. Everybody say no separation. It's an illusion. Say it's an illusion. There is a doctrine. There is a religious. Uh, there is a religious doctrine out there, a religious teaching in the world today among Christians, among churches, that that there is a separation between God and man, and that if you if you after you're born again, if you sin, your God. You know, God hides from you. God separated from you. But Jesus already paid for that sin. So there is no separation. By the time you commit your next sin, it's too late for that to separate you because Jesus already washed it away. It's too late for it to get in the way because Jesus blood is already eternally united you to him. Now, 
so uh, th th this, this is a myth. This is a it's a it's a fallacy. It's a doctrine of demons called the illusion. It's really well, the, I call I call it the myth of separation or the illusion of separation. Let me tell you how this works, how this illusion works, this 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 myth of separation. So something happens in your life. So a situation occurs in your life. And what happens when sickness comes or something bad happens or you feel lonely or you feel depressed or you feel discouraged? What happens is, is the situation that we're going through separates us from that sense of peace. So something you know, you're, you're going through a tough time financially or you're going through a tough time because you made a mistake, you, you fell, you stumbled, you blew it somewhere in your life or you got a bad diagnosis from a doctor. Now what happens is you you have a situation that that creates a separation between you and a sense of peace. But what you do is when <laughs> what ends up happening is when you when you're separated from that sense of peace, we interpret it, we interpret that and equate that to being separated from God. But we are not separated from God. It's a myth. We might be separated from peace, but the reason we're separated from peace momentarily is because our mind is fixed on the situation rather than our mind fixed on his presence with us. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 11, I think, uh, or 26.3, it says the mind that is stayed on him, he will keep in perfect peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. God is stayed on you and you are on him and he, you're in him and he's in you. But when your mind is not staying there, when your mind drifts to the situation and the circumstance, peace leaves. You don't need to get rid of the situation for the peace to come, you need to become aware of the presence of God in the midst of the situation and there will no longer you will no longer be separated from the peace. But what you can't buy into is that somehow your separation from a feeling of peace or joy equates to or is the same as or should be interpreted as being separated from God because nothing can separate you from God. And when your mind is on that reality, the gap between you and your peace is closed. There is no gap between you and God, but the devil plays tricks on your mind and says, see, you don't have peace. See that situation happened. See, you fell. See, you stumbled. God is now. Now God is up there and you better you better find a way to yell loud enough to get him to come down. And you see, the biggest problem in the world today for Christians is not the ability to dis to discern right from wrong, because I think most of us can discern right from wrong. You know, if I if I get in front of you when you're trying to drive out of the parking lot and I like your car and I get in front of you and I make you get out of your car because I'm you know, I'm acting like I'm going to pray for you. Hey, get out of your car. I want to pray for it. You get out of your car and I get in your car and leave with it. I think we can all agree for the most part, that's almost always wrong, right? We, in other words, we, <laughs> we don't have an issue of discerning right from wrong. Here's what we have a problem with discerning right from almost right. That's where we have 
an issue. You say, what do I mean by what do, you, what do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked, by the way. Thank you. What I mean by that is, for example, it's almost right to pray and ask God to come down and send help from heaven. It's almost right to ask God to come down and help us. It sounds holy and it sounds humble. It sounds right, doesn't it? But it's almost right. You say, well, why would it why wouldn't it be right to ask God to come down and help us? Because he already came down and he sent the helper and the helper is with us. His name is the Holy Spirit and he lives inside of you. So when you're praying for God to come down when he already came. And he, in, in, in Matthew 1:23, look at this. He already came. Matthew 1:23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which is translated meaning what? Come on, help me now. What's this? What's it translated as? God with us. God with us. Say, so, yeah, but didn't Jesus? But then Jesus died. He died for our sins, so we can go to heaven. But then he went to heaven, right? Yes, but look at before he went there, he said this in John 14, verse 16. Look at this. John 14, verse 16. Jesus has you covered, man. John 14, verse 16. He said, I will pray. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to heaven. He said, but I'm going to pray the Father, and he will give you, he will give you another helper, and he will abide with you forever. This is what he means when in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, he says. Go make disciples of all the nations in verse 19, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, and lo, this is why so many Chinese people call their children lo, because they want this scripture. Lo, I know, wow, that's somebody's going to go, you're racist. Just having fun. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what age? Well, he's literally saying, even to the end of the world, I am with you always. Yeah, but what about when you blow it? I'm with you always. What about when you make a mistake? I'm with you always. What about if you go out and intentionally say, I'm with you always? What about when somebody does something really bad to you and you want to get back at them and you got all this revenge and hatred in your I'm with you always? Don't you see the solution to doing what's right is not the fear of God leaving you. The solution to doing what's right is the awareness that he's with you, because when you are aware that he is with you, let me show you what happens. So he is with us. Hebrews 10:19 says we are in his presence by the blood of by the blood of Jesus. Right. We've gone over that. We're in his presence by the blood of Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2:13. Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. Look at what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near 
How? By what? By praying enough, by reading enough, by being holy enough. I got one no here. Come on. By what? We're, we're brought near by what? The blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ, which triumphs over everything, has brought you near to God where you are inseparable now because the blood covenant, you and him are one now. God and man have mixed their blood together in Christ and they are one now and you are one with him because you're in Christ. So now you now he will never leave you or forsake you. Now God is with you and he will never separate from you. And you are never going to nothing you can do can separate you from him. You say, but then we can then, then, then the sky's the limit, man. We can just do whatever we want and just be OK. And the, the, the whole point is, is you have to realize how vast God's love and grace is before you can live in it. You have to realize how how great it is. Like you have to be able to know that, yeah, you could commit some sinful behaviors today and still not be separated from God. You have to know that. And frankly, you got to you got to wake up and realize you commit sins every day. You have a bad thought. You looked at your watch today to get out. When are we going to leave? That's a sin to me, man. I don't know about how God feels about it. You've had a thought of lust. You've had a, you've, you've had a thought of anger. You thought about committing adultery. You thought about fornication. You've thought about lying, cheating, stealing. You say, well, I didn't do those things. See, that's what they were so self-righteous. Yeah. OK, you didn't do those things because you didn't have the opportunity. Oh, I'm so holy. I didn't commit adultery. No, just nobody wanted you. Remember, I come from a rough background, so just, you know, give me a little grace. Um, look, we got to wake up, people. We got to realize we sin all the time and yet it's already been washed and it cannot separate you. I'm not encouraging you to sin. I'm encouraging you to be aware and awakened to the presence of God, because and, and let me close with a, a list here. Here is what you can begin to expect when you become aware that God is with you. Ready? We're going to go through a quick list here. Um, number one. Total life blessing. I don't have time to get into it. You can look it up later. Second Samuel, chapter six, verses one through eleven. Total life blessing. Wherever the presence of God is, there is blessing. You say, then why is it if God is with me, then why aren't I experiencing blessing? Because of a lack of knowledge. It's that's why I'm that's why my mission this month is to make you aware of God's presence that he is with you. Total life blessing. Number two, the mountains melt like wax in the presence of God. Psalm 97, verse five. What mountain do you have? You need to you need to you need to introduce your mountain to the presence of the Lord. And you say, well, how do I do that? Because you're in his presence by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, you need to say mountain melt. Because 
you and me, there isn't room for both of us. The presence of God is in me and the presence of God makes my mountains melt like wax. And therefore you're melting in Jesus name. And then you know what the mountain's going to do? It's going to go, I'm melting, I'm melting. I know that's so stupid, but look, it gets the point across. Now you'll never forget that image. You can pray that image away, but it isn't going anywhere. All right. Joy. See, we have to wake up expecting these things. You see, we got all these tricks. Here's how I can be happy. Here's how I can have joy. Here's how I can get the mountain to move. But if you will just awaken to God's presence, which will never leave you or, or forsake you, joy will come. Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. We went over that. P the power of healing. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Because of the presence of the Lord was with them, the power of the Lord was present to heal. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. So God's presence brings healing. So you can expect healing. Um, we could just go on and on. The enemy, your enemies flee. Psalm chapter 9, verse 3. Your enemies flee at the presence of God. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. You, we need to wake up expecting our enemies to flee, expecting our mountains to melt, expecting joy to come, expecting peace to come, expecting healing to come. We need to wake up every day and declare, I am expecting healing because of the presence of the Lord. I'm expecting my mountains to melt like wax because of the presence of the Lord. Rather than I got to make sure I cross all my T's and dot all my I's. There's one T that had to be crossed and that was the cross where Jesus died on by his blood being shed. You are now in the presence of God and the presence of God is in you and there is there is no separation. It's a myth. There is no separation between you and God ever, ever again. If God is with you quickly, let me close and we'll pray. If God is with you and he is, then first Samuel chapter 18, verse 14 said, and he was prospered in all his ways. Look at the New American Standard Bible and David prospered in all of his ways. First Samuel chapter 18, 14. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Second Kings chapter 18, verse seven. Hezekiah was successful at everything he did because the Lord was with him. Second Samuel chapter five, verse 10, it says, and David became greater and greater because the Lord was with him. You're going to get your life is going to get greater and greater. Somebody's got to grab a hold of that. Don't leave this stuff on the table. Jesus paid for this. Second Chronicles 15, verse nine, the right people will surround you. Second Chronicles 15, verse nine, the, the right people will come to you because the Lord is with you. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17. Look at what it says. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Who is where? Who is with you? O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Why? Tomorrow go out against them. Why? For the Lord is with you. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 18. Look at what he says. It's not God. Is it not the Lord your God with you? What's the answer to that? Is the Lord God with you? Yes. Therefore, he will give you rest on every side. All right. Who needs a mountain to melt? Who needs some joy to overtake some sorrow? Who needs some healing in your life? 
Who needs um, some right people to come across your path and some wrong people to leave? Who 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 needs some peace and some rest? Who needs um, uh, all of these things, the blessing, a total life blessing? If you need any of these things, they all come from the awareness of the presence of the Lord. If you need any of them or all of them, let's stand to our feet and let's pray. Say, man, okay, so so what do I got to do now? Do I got to go fast for a few days so I can get my healing? No. Go eat. Do I got to go read my Bible for the next three hours? No. Go watch the game. Do I got to go and, and, and forgive everybody and apologize to everybody that I've wronged? No. Just tell the Lord that you're trusting in him and open the right doors and and you just do what is right in front of you. But you just got to realize there's no action that you have to take to get into the presence of God. The reason we come together is so that we can experience the manifest presence of God. There's God's omnipresence. He's everywhere all the time. There's God's indwelling presence. He lives inside of you. And then there's God's manifest presence where his power comes from inside and from outside and heals you and melts the mountains and brings the blessing and brings the right people and surrounds you like a shield and miracles happen and healings happen. And so we're going to pray now for the manifestation of God's presence to show up in your life, meaning he's already in you. Now we want his presence to manifest itself into melting a mountain to manifest itself into healing your body, to manifest itself into bringing a blessing, to manifest itself to show up in these ways. Does, does this make sense? So whatever it is you need, just lift your hands and just in, as an act of worship, not because we're trying to reach heaven, because heaven has already reached us. But we're just lifting our hands in as an act of worship. And I want to lead you in this simple prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I ask you to open my eyes to the reality of your presence. I dispel the myth of separation. It's an illusion. I am not separated from you and I never will be. I was because of Adam's sin and my sin. But Jesus has removed and washed away all of my sins. Therefore, nothing can separate me from the love of God, from the presence of God. You are with me. Therefore, I expect mountains to melt like wax. I expect total life blessing. I expect joy for sorrow. I expect healing to flow. I expect every mountain in my life of fear, anxiety, sickness and disease, worry and depression to melt away at the presence of God. I am in your presence by the blood of Jesus and your presence is in me. I will succeed because you are with me. My life will become greater because you are with me. I will be surrounded by the right relationships 
because you are with me. I will experience victory because you are with me. And I will have rest because you are with me. I will stand and see the glory of God show up mightily in my life because I am already in by the blood of Jesus and nothing can separate me from God's love, God's presence, and God's power in Jesus' name. Amen. Now come on, let's just thank Him today.